My next guest on Tea Time with me, Ali Monjak, is artist Luke Jeram. Luke shares his thoughts on how he came up with In Memoriam, his latest art installation, that is this week at Sandbanks Bournemouth. It was great to meet Luke as he is truly one of the most engaging artists of our time. He's always giving the public opportunities to connect. Let's find out more about his global art contribution. Without further ado, welcome to Tea Time with me, Ali Monjak. So, Luke, how have things been going for you during this uh, strange time of events? Well, it's been a bit rubbish, hasn't it, really? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I've been, uh, during the lockdown, I was trying to teach my kids from home, which was fine for the first week, and then they lost interest. And then it just became about survival, really. Uh, I'm really glad they're back at school. Um, but yeah, I think it's been really tough for them. Um, all my exhibitions, you know, I work as an artist. I'm based in Bristol, but I work both in the UK and all around the world. And most of the exhibitions were cancelled. Um, <clears throat> but they were sort of all picking up again now in different countries around the world at different times, depending on where they are in the stage of the pandemic. Um, but yeah, it's very, very difficult and strange times. It is very difficult, strange times. But I mean, the reason, one of the reasons why you're on the show today is because of your amazing art installation that recognises, you know, the, the loss that, you know, all of us have suffered together as a country globally um, of people from, you know, who've died of COVID-19. Um, and it's a really moving art installation. I mean, it, it literally, without trying to make it sound too stereotype, it blew me away. Um, you know, the way in, in, memoran, in memory of, you know, all of these people. Um, so, I mean, it must have taken you quite some time to sort of think about that. Yeah, uh, no, it did. Well, to be honest, the idea for this project came from um, another commission that I was asked to make for Western Supermare, their beach, um, with the NHS and a local arts organisation. So this um, this was back in January, and I was asked to make an artwork. I think the the two culture, you know, the two um, the, the Bristol and the Western Supermare and national health services were being merged basically so they wanted a sort of arts project about that and i read in the british medical journal that um as a consequence of austerity the conservative sort of policy of, of, of kind of cutting services basically instead of investing in things um there'd been 120,000 deaths caused as a consequence of austerity over the last 10 years and so i had this idea to create uh, a giant installation made of 120 flags made of uh, NHS bedsheets um, to sort of highlight that, the fact that austerity hasn't worked and it's been awful for a lot of people. Uh, and it's not as, even, not even as if we've kind of managed to cut the deficit as a consequence of, of austerity. The austerity, you know, debts have actually gone up. Anyway, COVID hit the, um, and the exhibition was cancelled, but I thought actually, there's something about this artwork that resonates in the context of this pandemic. Uh, so, because I think during the pandemic, we've we valued our green and open spaces 
even more all our parks they uh, and beaches they've become kind of functional safe places places where we feel happy to go and know that we're 100% completely safe and uh, it's a way of sort of a space that's free and open out of the, the confines of our little gardens and apartments and flats so um it was during the lockdown I started developing this art, art project and uh, testing all these flags in my back garden, much to my wife's discontent. Um, and the artwork was. Sorry. I bet it kept your children entertained, though. <clears throat> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, testing flags up on the hill in Bristol. Lots of people are wondering what I was doing, of course. Um, and then the artwork was first presented in Antwerp. But I couldn't go and, uh, anyway because they had a, a local spike in COVID space uh, ratings up there. So, um, and then the artwork has then been to London with the Greenwich and Docklands International Festival, and it's been to uh, Norwich and then also Newbury. But and Newbury was really the first time I've seen the artwork come together, be presented properly. So it was really nice to see, and they did a great job. And that was with the Corn Exchange in Newbury. Yeah, so how many flags? There's 20 flags in total because there's a sort of like a um, a red cross in the middle of the flags, isn't there? Sort of, you know. Yeah, so there's 100, 120 flags in total that form a giant circle. And some of the flags are white and some of them are red. So if you look from above, it creates this red cross, uh, which was like a kind of hospital symbol in the middle of this white circle. And the installation is probably uh, maybe 40 meters in diameter. So it's quite large. The flags stand at about um, five and a half meters tall off the ground. So they become this uh, giant sort of array of uh, an installation that you can walk underneath. Um, and, and the flags are always moving and changing with the weather and the, and the, yeah, the changing wind conditions. So it's quite nice to see how they, they operate. Um, it is, yeah. So, the artwork was also funded by um, the Wellcome Trust and um, Durham University. They've got a project in Durham about the weather, so it's sort of fitted in with their narrative as well. So it's, um, yeah, and it, the artwork is touring and it seems to be, but it's been, you know, fundamentally created as a temporary memorial to all the NHS workers who've been risking their lives and putting their lives on the, on the line. So because obviously all the, the um, cathedrals and churches have been closed and lots of people not being able to attend certain people's funerals. So I think the public is grieving, basically. There's a, so um, that's the reason I made this artwork, to act as a sort of a, a safe place for people to be able to go and grieve and con contemplate what we've all been through over the last few weeks, months, years. Yeah, well, well, may I congratulate you? I, I know it, it's not congratulations, perhaps you're, you're looking to hear at the moment, but I think, you know, you have created a piece that's incredibly simple, effective and almost euphoric um, in, in the way that people are able to, as you said, come and experience the, the artwork, but also feel part of something, feel that, you know, we are all connected. By these 120 flags um i think it it's yeah it really is a simple effective piece of its time definitely so it's off to bournemouth next isn't it yeah so we're installing it in bournemouth i'm i'm going down there tomorrow uh we're putting it on the beach 
um, in Sandbanks, which is just to the, the, the west of Bournemouth. Um, so yes, it's going to be a bit of a challenge to, to do that, inserting these flags into the sand to see whether they all, whether they all hold up or whether they all fall, fall over in the, when the tide comes in. We'll find out pretty soon. Yeah, well, you'll, you'll have to build a sandcastle. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But yeah, no, that, that will be quite extraordinary, won't it? Because the weather is never exactly how you think it's going to be. And actually the wind from the, the sea or the ocean is, it can be you know, quite tremendous at times, can't it? Yeah, no, I think it looked really beautiful down there. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and yeah, they're, they're doing a series. I mean, the artwork is both an installation for people to discover and contemplate, but it also acts as a venue for each host to program events beneath it. So in London, uh, we had uh, NHS workers from the local hospital giving speeches and poetry readings and dance events and small kind of classical um, concerts. Uh, and so in Bournemouth, they are going to be yeah, projecting uh, messages, uh, sort of words of remembrance onto the, onto the flags at night. So it'll be really interesting to see what that looks like. I should imagine that looked quite beautiful. I mean, there's nothing like the seafront at night with the moon reflecting across it as well, you know, across the ocean. I should imagine that that would be quite a sight. Um, yeah, you know. it would be great. Yeah, definitely. As I said, you know, creating something that, you know, everybody can be a part of in these times is, is um, yeah, well done you. But I mean, you traditionally have been like this. I mean, you, you've done some fantastic pieces throughout your career, haven't you? I mean, I was looking at the Museum of the Moon. I thought that was quite extraordinary as well. I mean, how did that idea come about? Uh, yeah, I'm living in Bristol and we've got the, the second highest tidal range in the world. And of course, it's the moon that's making that happen. And I'm cycling to work every day and noticing, noticing this, like a 13 metre variation in high tide to low tide um, and it sort of got me interested in yeah in astronomy and um, I always wanted a, a telescope as a kid as well and the, the telescopes were really expensive so uh, it's quite nice now so instead of having a telescope to look at the moon you just make a giant moon and then you don't need a telescope uh, and yeah it, it's a sort of um, again it's a sort of installation for people to enjoy it's been presented in um, all sorts of different places, in cathedrals, in outdoor spaces. We took it to Glastonbury, we've toured it around India. Uh, it was at the Natural History Museum last year. So it's, it, the interpretation of this moon is different depending on where it gets presented. Um, and uh, it's also been right around the world. So if we take it to India, the moon has great significance in there, uh, in Sikh culture. Uh, whereas if you take it to China, you know they have they celebrate the moon as part of their mid-autumn festival so the moon means different things to different people yeah um and uh this artwork comes with a surround sound composition and then it's also um yeah acts as a venue for other events a bit like the flags art project really i quite like making art projects that uh, leave space for other people to be creative that's good that you know that is good and you know the the, the reason that, the other reason why the museum of the moon sort of struck out to mind as well is the fact that you know you've taken on board the, the complete science of you know the moon and where it sits and you know nasa and and everything else and i just think that really is 
um, a great way of, of showing how the moon sort of reacts around the globe, I suppose, doesn't it really, in the universe? So Yeah, I've tried to create a, a, the moon as accurate as possible. So it's a seven meter uh, sphere and on the outside is printed with high resolution NASA imagery. So every valley, mountain and crater is defined in perfect detail. And there's an optical illusion created. And it looks like it has this amazing kind of texture to it. So when we toured it around India, people are sometimes asked if it was made of paper mache or concrete or something like that. Whereas actually it is just a balloon with a light in. So it's quite a simple, uh, yeah, but um, rather effective artwork that's uh, it's been easy to tour. And we've had, a, had about 150 exhibitions in about 30 countries all around the world. So it's it's certain, um, yeah, it's been very successful over over the time, and now we've got a, a replica Earth as well that's that's touring. That's currently in Cambridge. We've got another one in Beijing, another one that's going to be presented in Wuhan in the next couple of weeks as well. So it's all, um, yeah, it's quite useful. I think working internationally as an artist, it kind of uh, reduces your risk and um, means I've had a very interesting life. It's been great. Absolutely. I mean, why not go global? I mean, that 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 is the the thinking. And I think if you, the more you people you can connect in anything you do, and you're obviously very passionate about what you do, which is you know reflects in your work. Um, that must be great. So, are you going to get the opportunity to go out to Wuhan? Um, no, I won't be this time. Um, I mean. Yeah, I've had to reduce my international travel considerably. Wherever you go now, you never know whether you're going to have to quarantine when you come back to the, to the UK. And also, um, it's quite nice spending time with my family a little bit more. I think they've really struggled with the lockdown. So um, it's important that I stay here as, as much as possible. I'm, um, I'm sending the odd technician off to install artworks. But actually, a lot more artworks can be done via Facebook and FaceTime and diagrams and things like that, which is better for the environment anyway, in terms of reducing my carbon footprint. So it's probably not as fun. I'd like to have gone to China really, but uh, it's better for the environment that, um, yeah, we cut that down as much as we can. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure that, you know, we'll all see photos, won't we? We'll see pictures. I mean, that, that, that's the beauty of living in the digital age, isn't it really? You, something is instantaneously there so it's not as if you know you're missing out entirely so to speak but yeah I mean that so that is your next project then that is going across the world well the, uh, the artwork's called Gaia and that has been touring now for probably two years uh, and yeah the moon's been touring for probably three or four we've got the in memoriam is I suppose my latest large-scale artwork that's touring and that's that's going around the UK so um, yeah, after, after Newbury, it's Bournemouth, which is installing this week. And then after that, it's Worcester. Um, it's also going to Western Supermare, possibly Bristol. So, yeah, it, it'll be doing its thing over the, next, over the next year or two. But, of course, we're only halfway through this pandemic. So it's, um, but I just felt it was necessary to create this artwork. I think the artwork will be read slightly differently in five years' time. And it might be... It might have more resonance then or it might not we we don't know it'll be it'll be a slightly thing a slightly different thing once this pandemic is over well yes no it will be but i mean it will all be recorded and it will go down in the history books especially in the uk are there any plans to take it out globally 
Uh, we've had a few, well, it was first presented in Antwerp in Belgium, uh, but yeah, I think it will, I tend to make these artworks and then they, if they're any good, they get invited from one place to another. Some artworks will tour for four or five years and have hundreds of exhibitions and then others um, might only be presented once. So you never really know what the, what the value of an artwork will be and what the take-up will be until it's up and out and, and, and touring. And then, yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't know. We'll, um, we haven't had hundreds of inquiries from organisations around the world. But yeah, it's, it's not the end of the world. We'll see no, what happens. I mean, it, it, it's almost early days, though. As you said, we're only halfway through this pandemic. If we are, who knows? Who knows? We don't, do we, really? Things change from, from week to week, and it does feel increasingly at the moment like we're back in March. Um, you know, when we, we first went into lockdown, obviously we're not going into a national lockdown this time because of the, the UK economy, uh, and in fact the, the global economy. But, you know, it does at the moment, doesn't it, feel like we've almost gone back to the beginning. Yeah, and I suppose that, and the government have made some improvements in their tracking and tracing and testing but we're you know we're well behind where we should be and and we're in trouble again because of the lack of planning you know i'm very very angry about the what the government has done um and what they've not done you know they in my mind you know we've got forty-one thousand people have been killed as a consequence of this pandemic uh i think over in new zealand they've got about five <laughs> you know so there's i just i just think you know we've had so many cuts to to the nhs services and the government have have, have sort of privatized our tracking and tracing system along the way they've not you know it's all about making money for them and um i think they should all be thrown in jail so i'm very angry about the situation right. but i've created the you know in memoriam is not you know it's not an an, an artwork that is supposed to be angry it's um it, it acts as a sort of mirror to, to what people bring with it bring to it i suppose so you know if you're a four-year-old child you're just going to enjoy running between the flags and having a jolly time whereas if you're an nhs worker and you've seen colleagues die because they, have, they haven't had the right protective equipment given to them um then they're going to read it in a very different way Yes, and I think, as I said to you, you know, when we first started talking about it, I think really it, it's a very beautiful, simple, effective artwork for everybody to enjoy or be a part of. And feel, you know, it does make you feel, I mean, I walked, as soon as I saw the artwork in the middle of Goldwell Park in Newbury, I could, I was just, you know, drawn in almost like a child. You know, and then it, it was just, you know, once, once I'd read the, the board, um, I just literally, you know, the wind was blowing and I, I actually felt blown away that, you know, we were part of something. You know, that feeling that you get and I'm sure that you tried to create as well is when you, you know, Remembrance Sunday every year, when you do your two minute silence to those that lost their lives in the World War, you know, and we wouldn't be the country we are today without them. It, it's that sort of kind of feeling that it created for me. Um, oh, good. Yeah, definitely, which um, is a very powerful thing, definitely. You know, I mean, I understand that everybody at the moment is cross with the government or cross with 
you know, situations. Um, but it, it, it is, you know, this pandemic is definitely about pitching in the dark because nobody really has the answers either, do they? Which makes it, which makes it very difficult for everyone to kind of move forward. But we are now picking up pace. We are moving forward. Um, well, you say, I mean, you say that, but actually, you know, if you go to South Korea, uh, uh, they've got very few cases there at all, and very few deaths. It's because they do have the answers. They've because they've had um, pandemics of MERS and of swine flu and avian flu in the past. Yeah. They were very well prepared for this pandemic. They knew how to act. They were able to throw science at it. They had communications in place. They were able to lock down, track and trace people. So um, they've not had 40,000 deaths. Um, and, and our government seems to have thought that we're completely, that there is nothing to learn from, you know, from Wuhan and from, you know, uh, the, the kind of rise in sudden cases in, in Italy, like somehow, because we're British, we're completely immune. <laughs> and, uh, and lo and behold, you know, it's just not been the case. We've not learned the lessons, and um, the cuts to the NHS uh, have meant that we've got 40,000 people killed, uh, and it's just the situation that we're in. Um, and we should have learned those lessons. We should have been completely prepared. There, there was an analysis, I think, in 2017 about from the NHS. They did a... A consultation of the NHS to see whether uh, whether the, the service was was ready for a pandemic, and the NHS the results of that consultation was that we weren't ready for a pandemic, and that actually we needed to stockpile the PPE kit and we needed to prepare for it, and uh, and we needed to spend you know maybe two billion quid to ensure that we were completely ready, and lo and behold, because of austerity. Um, they, the government decided not to do that. Um, and, and as a consequence, we've got 40,000 people dead and we've had to spend, I don't know, billions, billions and billions more. Um, so we could have been ready and the science was there. You know, there's, there's a lovely TEDx talk by Bill Gates uh, that he did, I think, in 2015 or 2017. Yeah, it was 2015, yeah. Yeah, that he sort of says, well, actually, because we've got global travel, uh, whatever, you know, these viruses are emerging. We've had Ebola, we've had swine flu, SARS, all that sort of stuff. It doesn't take, you know, it's a roll of dice, really. It's a matter of time before something else comes along. Yeah, that's what he said. It will travel really quickly. And so we need to do X, Y, and Z to make sure that this doesn't happen. Actually, and, um, George did. Bush did in 2004 as well. He uh, actually, one of his speeches when he was still president was he, he talked about, you know, we, you know, we're, we're not really looking at the enemy anymore as in warfare, but we are looking at, you know, an enemy in the future as a, you know, a global pandemic and we need to be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and yeah, so we spend our money on nuclear missiles instead. You think, what's the point of that? Nuclear missiles that we're never going to. You know, things like Trident that we're never going to need. You know, you just think <laughs> the, the priorities are, you know, that developing nuclear arms and things like that was something that might be important during the Cold War. 
but that's not what we need now, you know. And um, it just the governments are so short-sighted. It just drives me mad, anyway. Definitely. Well, let's let's not talk about that. So, um, I mean, how did this all <laughs> begin for you, Luke? Really, Sorry? how did this all begin for you? I know that you're part of a, a local faculty, aren't you, at a university? I mean, so, so there's very much a lot of thinking behind your artwork, and obviously, you know, chatting to you today um you're you're obviously a very intelligent man but how did this all start for you as you know an artist yeah i studied uh, maths and physics uh at uh, school i had a place at university to do engineering but i decided to do an art degree instead so i did my art degree over in cardiff and graduated in 97 uh and um and I've been working as an artist ever since, really. It took me about five years to work out how to make a living at it. Um, but I've got, yeah, a studio here in Bristol. And um, a lot of the artwork now I, I make still involves science and engineering. Um, uh, and I'm sort of, but also there's a sort of playful element to a lot of the stuff I've done, and, and which happens on the street. So I'm known around the world for putting pianos in cities for people to, to play. So if you've ever seen a street piano, maybe in St Pancras Station or an airport or a train station, I'll have either put it there or someone will have copied the idea. But yeah, I've installed about 2,000 of those around the world. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, some of my stuff happens in museums and galleries and other artworks exist as temporary artworks outdoors. And actually the fact that a lot of the artwork I make is outdoors and free for the public to enjoy has served me well during this pandemic. It means that I've still got some work, which is great. Uh, Brilliant. No, that's what we like to hear, especially when the arts are so affected at the moment. Um, there seems to be lack of funding for the arts as well, doesn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah there is. But um, so yeah, but um, I've got a small team of people here uh that we we sort of manage the tour of some of these artworks i think so in tw 20 like last year we had 117 exhibitions in about 30 countries around the world it, it did get a bit out of hand um but um so in some ways the pandemic's been quite good and it's given me time to think and contemplate and uh yeah there's been some benefits to that uh, it's made me sort of reassess what life is about and what the what my priorities are uh so yeah there, are, there have been some good things to come out of this definitely I, I you know i think there has for everybody but that that sounds good for you as well you're obviously more you know spending more time with your family because children grow up so quickly as well don't they yeah yeah but what just very quickly before i let you go what was the thinking about the the pianos is is it just that you really wanted everybody to have the opportunity to be able to experience music? Uh, well, the, the street pianos act as a kind of blank canvas for the public's creativity. There's lots of people who have a piano at home, but they would, uh, but they would never sort of perform on the street. So it turns those sort of amateur um, piano players into street performers. So that's quite fun. There's also people out there who've had training, but they don't have a piano. So it gives access to, to um, to a, mus a musical instrument for those people. Um, the pianos are often decorated by the, the public, by artists, local artists, and then we might sort of install about 30 across a city for people to play. Uh, and in that way, you, you know, you can reach hundreds of thousands of people. Um, 
and it led to all sorts of amazing things happening. So strangers have met for the first time and given each other piano lessons, fallen in love and got married as a consequence. Um, we've been given, uh, people have been given recording contracts where they've been discovered as sort of buskers playing a piano um, and, and given, you know, made albums as a consequence. Um, the art project Play Me I'm Yours was also able to change the UK or help change the UK licensing laws. So at one point you needed a music license about an inch thick in order to be able to um, put a piano on the street. Um, so that was raised in the House of Lords and now you no longer need a license to uh, put a piano on the street or a piano in a bar or anything like that. So, there, you know, art has amazing potential. If you get it right, it can change people's lives. And that's one of the reasons I, I like to make the artwork I do. Definitely, that, that sounds brilliant. I mean, so is this is obviously, you know, your way of giving back, isn't it? So it sounds like you've had an incredibly lucky life with, you know, your chosen um, profession, your chosen, um, you know, your, your role in life, as it were, because, you know, I think everybody chooses a role in life, don't they, really? Yeah, no, I've, I have been really lucky. Uh, uh, and I, yeah, I suppose I graduated in 97, just when the, the Labour government were coming in. And it just felt like there was opportunities out there and I didn't have too many student debts to deal with. And um, yeah, I've been lucky with my health and things like that. So it's, it's uh, yeah, I've been very lucky. And I, but I've always tried to make artwork that's freely available for everybody to enjoy. I try to make artwork that isn't just for a sort of an elite uh minority but artworks that can be appreciated by different people at different levels so if you're a four-year-old child and you see the moon uh you know you're going to enjoy it in one way whereas if you're an astronomer or a geologist you'll appreciate it in a different way there was a little girl who came up to me uh, when she saw the moon and um she said will you put it back afterwards so she thought <laughs> i'd stolen the real moon that was really cute Oh, that is really lovely. That's such a lovely story as well. And I'm sure you're full of them. I'm sure you must have lots of amazing feedback as well, because, you know, your, your artwork sort of tells a story and you, you create stories as well, don't you, with, with what you've been doing? Yeah, yeah. There's all, all sorts of kind of crazy stories out of all these projects. If anyone's interested, they can find all the artworks I, I make on uh, lukejerram.com. Um, but then, yeah, when an art project gets big enough, they build their own, they have their own art sort of websites that go with them. So streetpianos.com is where all the information and stories are for the street piano project. And yeah, there's lots of, um, lots of fun. Or just Google me, lukejerram.com and you'll, you'll find yeah. lots of stories and photos and it will make more sense then, I suppose, rather than just listen to me on a podcast. <laughs> that, that is absolutely true. And, you know, it is worth doing that. For anybody listening to this podcast because you know I, as I said I, I was completely blown away by your art installation and when I went online to, to have a look at you I was just like oh my goodness wow this is you know some of the, the stuff that you've done as I said is extremely extraordinary um, uh, and I think that's great I mean you, you've obviously made it work for you haven't you yeah, yeah. I, well, it just takes time. Uh, it took me about five years to work out how to make a living at it. And now I've got yeah, a small team of people that, uh, that help me realise some of these projects. But yeah, it's very much a team effort. And I like collaborating with people as well. I often collaborate with musicians and 
craftsmen and uh, I don't know composers all sorts of different people to make artworks come into being yeah because they're very creative pieces I mean have you ever met any of your contemporaries yeah yeah I meet artists all the time yeah absolutely and uh, yeah I think there's there's things to be learned from every artwork that gets made I mean what do you make of somebody like Banksy it's an extraordinary um, extraordinary guy uh, and um, Yes, I suppose being in Bristol, I've been in the shadow ever since a little bit, which in some ways is, is quite good. I quite, quite like it. it. Keeps me off the radar. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, it's, it's in a difficult situation. You want, you want to be, um, it just seems now he's, he's whenever he does a, a piece of like a mural on the street, it, it affects people in lots of positive ways, but it also leads to a mess as well, you know with artworks being cut out of people's walls or security or, you know, it leads to a load of headaches. Whatever he does now in the public domain seems to get removed over time because it's too valuable. So it's, it's in a slightly awkward and difficult position in that he doesn't, almost unable to make public artwork because um, it just has too much sort of financial value. But then at the same time, he's, it's brilliant that he also, um, he has a lot of influence and power and can create artworks that can generate um, a lot of money for charity. He's able to sort of support um, and make changes to yeah, communities and things like that by, you know, by painting on the shed of a, a youth centre, for instance. The youth centre was able to sell that artwork, raise half a million quid to keep them going. So um, he has, you know, his heart's in the right place, which is great. Yes, no, no, no. It, it it sounds like yours is too, though, and 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 that is great. I mean, you know, I, I've met a lot of people in the art business, you know, over my time as well. And you know, not everybody is as creative as you are at helping or giving something back to the public. And you know, I think that 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 is a joy in itself, really, um, and very okay. commendable at, at this moment in time. Again, because. You know, if we didn't have artwork during this pandemic, I, I think, um, yeah, it, the world would be quite bleak, wouldn't it, really? Would it would. Anyway, I, I need to get on to the next thing. It's lovely uh, to meet with you. And um, yeah. thanks for the amazing opportunity. And um, thank you thank for coming you. on Tea Time.